Hey, this is Nicole DeBoer, a.k.a. Esri Dax, and you're listening to The Shuttle Pod. Welcome back, friends, to the ShuttlePod. I am your co-host, Jared. I am joined by my good friend, Brian. Hello there. My other good friend, Kayla. Hey, everyone. And last but not least, my yet other good friend, Matt. <laughs> hey, everybody. Kate, do you guys uh, remember that episode where Data goes to San Francisco and there's that guy panhandling and he keeps saying, like, would you help out a 49er, right? Yes, I do. That is particularly on topic today because we're not talking about time travel or data or 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 anything like that. But this is the 49th episode of the Shuttle Pod. Wow! You believe that we made it? That's a lot of podcasts. It is. It is. It is. And and, and (laughs) as we were discussing before we we started recording, there's actually a lot more than 49 because we did Discovery podcast. We've done supplementals. So. I think we're all kind of amazed that we've gotten this far. So thanks, everyone, for helping out us 49ers. Yeah. Yes. Thank if it weren't you. for you guys listening and encouraging us, we probably would have stopped by now. Yeah, no question <laughs> at all. We, we appreciate the listens, the downloads, the comments. And, of course, uh, all the likes, shares, and subscribes that people beg for <laughs> at the end of every YouTube video now. <laughs> yes. So all that yep. stuff. Right. Please rate us, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it, it is not of milestones that we are talking today, but of beginnings. Mainly, we're going to talk about the four pilots from the Berman era of Star Trek. And at first, we started talking about this a while ago. We were going to do this before Discovery. And then we thought, well, we'd have to do all six pilots, including the, the, the cage. We thought that might be a bit much to cram into one. So we just did a comparison of the cage where no man has gone before, which I think was the right decision because we had a mm-hmm. lot to say about those two. So, yep. so now what we're going to do is we are going to do a deep dive into Encounter at Farpoint, Emissary, Caretaker, and Broken Bow. And each of us have rewatched one of those. And so he or she is going to give a little summary Give give their overview of what happened, and then the rest of us will join in and we'll uh, we'll do a discussion. And uh, I I think that just about keys it up for everyone. We're also specifically though, however, I need to mention this. Uh, our criteria for evaluating these are one, how well does each pilot set up the series, and two, how well does it work on its own as just a self-contained story. So we thought we'd do this chronologically. So we are going to begin with Encounter at Farpoint, and we will turn the time over to Kayla. 
All right, so I had the pleasure of rewatching Encounter at Farpoint. It's fresh in my mind. This is the the next generation pilot, Encounter at Farpoint, parts one and two. Um, to give you a little bit of a reminder of what the episode was about, I'm, I'll go ahead and read the memory alpha summary of the episode for you. Captain Jean-Luc Picard leads the crew of the USS Enterprise D on its maiden voyage to examine a new planetary station for trade with the Federation. On the way, they encounter Q, an omnipotent extra-dimensional being who challenges humanity as a barbaric inferior species. Picard and his new crew must hold off Q's challenge and solve the puzzle of Farpoint Station on Deneb 4, a base that is far more than it seems to be. Dun dun dun. Dun 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 dun. Dun dun dun. So we meet our heroes and our new heroes, uh, you know, traveling on the way to Farpoint Station. Um, some of them are already on board the Enterprise, and some of them they're going to pick up um, at Farpoint Station. So uh, Riker and Jordy and Beverly and Wes are all on Farpoint Station. Um, whenever I'm rewatching this episode, uh, I find it fascinating because I didn't watch it when it aired originally. Um, I would have been not born yet actually i was born just after this episode aired originally on television and so i didn't watch it when it when it aired originally and by the time i did see it tng was already kind of a staple in my life you know star trek was always around and so i never experienced it as someone who had never seen any other star trek besides the original series um and so i'm always fascinated to trying to watch it from that perspective of you know what what would this show have seemed like to all of these people who were probably very guarded, you know, they, they, they had their beloved original series, Captain Kirk, and now they're going into this new thing. And um, it's so it's really interesting for me to try to uh, imagine what it would have been like to watch it going through that. But what I can talk to is sort of the story it, itself and how well it sets up the series and how well it works on its own. Um, I think I have a bit of an unpopular opinion when it comes to Farpoint, so I'm really interested to kind of go back and forth with you guys about this because I actually quite like this episode. Um, I know I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with it, and it does have a lot of problems, but um, I think that uh, the story of the Far of Farpoint Station and the space jellyfish and all that I think is a really nice, very Star Trek story. And um, mm-hmm. I, you know, it is absolutely. Some people complain mm-hmm. that it's a little like too much, but I think it's um, it very well encapsulates what you can expect from the rest of TNG in terms of the kinds of stories they're going to be telling, and like the kinds of morals they're going to be, you know, showing and having us think about and that kind of thing. Um, I think it gets a thumbs down in terms of setting up the characters. Probably, I think um, Picard is super weird in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's very off and, and through the whole first season. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. true, but it seems for like particularly show here, especially because, like I said, you're coming at it from the viewpoint of an audience who you know is probably guarded, doesn't know what to expect with his new captain, might not be welcoming him, you know, into the Star Trek family, and and he comes across mm-hmm. as like a total dick. He's not, he's not, he's not relatable at all. Okay, so 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 one thing that. I mean, I agree with you in terms of the tone. It sets up the series well. I, I have to disagree in uh, in or, or, or just sort of another point. I don't think it sets up our primary character very well. I think there's a, there's a weird phenomenon. I think I've talked about it before where I feel like the early seasons, Riker was being set up to be the main character, right? 
and Picard was just kind of more in the background, and that's highlighted by the fact that Picard would always stay on the ship and have something like a more cerebral type of dilemma, and Riker would go on the planet and have more of an action-adventure type of type of situation. And so with, mm-hmm. with this, the way they're setting him up is that he's this sort of joyless administrator and and not yeah. this wonderful Renaissance man that he, we've come to see. And part of that may be character growth. I mean, like him not liking children and then having events like uh, the episode of Disaster where he's got the kids in, in the in – the, turbo lift you know so that's like growth mm-hmm. but it's more than that it's like the character is is just markable remarkably different here yeah than what he'd be so i don't feel like it sets the character of picard up very well and oh it, yeah and no kinda, i i, no, I, I actually 100 percent agree. agree with that oh yeah okay yeah, mm-hmm. i agree for sure yeah the the, he's the very the, stiff yeah he's very off-putting like i would not yeah no yeah. he's not likable at all he's super know. awkward he's kind of mean you don't understand his motives at all, and, and, yeah, and it I, never pays off, him being kind no, of No, like, I don't understand why he's such a prick about the, like, the saucer rejoining thing. Yes. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's like a test for test's sake, just to kind of fuck with him. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's like, Riker's going to do this totally manually. And, of course, like, everyone thinks that's nuts. They're like, no automation whatsoever. And it's like, right, we have computers for a reason. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, they all look yeah. around, and they're like, really? Okay, like so this is a top of the line starship and we're going to risk it to like human error. All right. You know, they all just kind of look around. <laughs> I, I also think metatextually part of that is they wanted to have a special effect sequence and they have this sure. oh, breathtaking sure. ship, but like, but it docking can be done with automation. Is, yeah. But docking is also not that remarkable. Right. No, they wanted right. drama. True. 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 Right. Right. But yeah. I agree. But you, I mean, they could have done it because yeah. they just it never paid off. So they have Picard being no, a total prick about it. And then later they could have had him been like, uh, you know, look, we're going to need to you're going to need these skills in the future. For, you know, they could have made up some reason that he wanted to test him on this and then sort of have him be more open about it afterwards be like oh now that you passed the test now i'm opening up to you and he never did yeah. he just which kept is, being which a is dick. kind of what they were sort of doing because eventually he sort of like ad, you know acknowledges him and says okay well welcome on board kind of thing you know yeah but I it's think awkward that's what they were trying to do but it's really yeah it's not good it's like all right needlessly cruel it's interesting that you guys brought up that specific scene because that's one of the scenes that stood out i watched this when it first was broadcast and I watched my dad and I watched it together. Mm-hmm. And when Picard tells Riker to you know to go take care of the saucer separation, and he goes, and I mean right now, Commander. Like he gets, he's like very rigid and tough with him. My, my dad, I remember my dad going, "Wow, this is definitely not Captain Kirk." <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, like of course he means right now. He didn't mean like you know later, <laughs> dude. Just chill. Of course he meant right now. It's, it's like unnecessary, you know. No, yeah, it was the tone, and but no, but like I think that first season they were trying so hard to make Picard as much unlike Kirk as possible that they made him kind of unpleasant. Yeah. yeah definitely. Also, it's always just kind of been weird to me that Picard is French because that's like a part of his personality that very, very rarely comes out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, he's it, way more of a, a stiff upper lip Brit than in yeah, the yeah. first season. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, it would have been silly for him to speak with a French accent. Oh and, yeah. And I, there's probably videos on YouTube of him like doing the intro text in a French accent, and I don't think that would have worked. So I don't know why they didn't just make him, you know, they should have just dropped John, it. Yeah. John Connington from Essex or something like that. 
or or if they were so in love with the name make up some bullshit back history for him where he was born in france but raised in london or something sure exactly that's all they have to do yeah i mean after all everything's a you know hops given a jump away of course people could be easily sort of transcontinental or transnational in that manner in the 24th century so okay sure just sort of swinging back to like the episode as a whole a bit i think i i um, it seems like we're all in total agreement that Picard is really poorly set up. I think a lot of the characters are relatively poorly set up. And I mean, but I think Picard is the most egregious. But mm-hmm. outside of that, I think the core story itself is a nice representation of what the rest of the series is going to become. And I like the fact that um, that the scenes with Q and, and of course, this was the genius of all good things but that the scenes with Q and the trial bookend the entire series. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that makes it a lot better. So, so looking at this ret- retrospect retroactively from 2018, knowing the events of all good things. And this is admittedly uh, probably my favorite episode of Star Trek of all time is all good things. And that scene at the end is probably my favorite scene. So it's mm. very meaningful to mm. me to have it set up, you know, at the, at the beginning of the series with, uh, Q and this trial of humanity because I know what's to come and I know what they ended up making out of that and so it's yeah. really satisfying to see it again they kind of redeemed yeah. any shortcomings in Farpoint were redeemed by all good things yeah I think yeah. so because a, a lot of the early Q stuff like I was I just rewatched this over the weekend just for kicks too because I haven't actually rewatched Farpoint in a while because I avoid it because I just don't care for it that much but I actually had a good time rewatching it but yeah the earliest Q stuff like the first couple scenes with Q are actually really awkward i think and then they get better and better um as the as the two hours progress basically and you got to remember that q is kind of like a revisitation of a classic roddenberry trope which is that advanced being Mm -hmm. encounters the enterprise and judges humanity Mm -hmm. oh yeah on the nose basically Yeah. yeah yeah and trillian and q you know obviously reminds everybody of trillian right trillian yeah so, I remember watching that at the time and being like, "Oh, really? Is this, we're doing this again?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but but John Delancey is so charismatic that it really you don't really end up caring. Really, it, it, it he's so wonderful that it, you know you kind of yeah. overlook the fact that we've covered this ground before. You you know it. Well, first of all, I just want to say it's really interesting, Brian, to hear your perspective because. I haven't really ever sat down with someone who saw it on the first air and said like, "What was mm-hmm. what? Did, what did you? How did you react to this or that?" So that's really cool for me right. to hear. Um, but thinking, I'm thinking about the other characters too. So we've talked a bit about Picard and Q. Um, I thought um, Tasha Yar stood out to me because po- positively or negatively? Negatively. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Her, her acting is atrocious. In yeah, this, actually. it's bad. It's well, real the bad. Writing, the yeah. writing and, and maybe yeah. directing. They gave her some crap dialogue too. Yeah. Uh, and Where she like she, she, she very yeah, awkwardly yeah. talks about this court should actually get down to things and worship what the Federation became or something. Yeah. Well, that's when I mean that's the, the writing the, is weird too. Yeah. It's very weird. Like that's a weird. Like no one says that. Like that. Put that in someone's <laughs> mouth and it's like no, right. you would never actually say that. It's very awkward. Plus. She's so over the top in everything yep. that she does. Like yeah. any any she time something happens, yeah, she starts yeah. yelling and getting her phaser out and being like, "I we have to do something about this." Blah blah blah, and it's just like Jesus, chill out, and lady. It, 
Well, and I noticed that basically she and Worf, because they're not quite sure what to do with Worf yet either, right? Yeah. They basically trade yeah. off they basically trade off doing that. Like at one point Worf wants to blast a hole in the screen and they're like, Why would you do that? Q's not actually like physically on the screen, dude. And then it then, you know, it's like then it's Tasha's turn to basically do that impulsive thing and they trade off and it's like, Oh, I'd, we you know, you could see why they were like, Well, we don't need two characters to go be aggressive and charge the screen, you know? It's like we don't need two people to do that. So it's no wonder why that they were sort of not sure what to do, you know, like with these characters. Yeah. Yeah. The story is very Star Trek-y, the core story, but it it's done in kind of a klutzy way. Well, and I think that's why yeah. people... I think it shows that Roddenberry wasn't actually keen on doing like a two-hour premiere, and they talked him into mixing two yeah, storylines together. I agree. Right, which is I, why Q is even in there Which in is the why Q place. is even in there, right. And so I think that right. shows that they're just like, oh, but better tack Q on to the mystery of Farpoint. Boom! All right, we tacked him on, you hmm. know, and like, so it's interesting, but there's weird parts to it that I don't know. They're just there, right? Yeah. Like it's like all right. Yeah. Overall, though, I have to say I love the space jellyfish. Mm. And it looks really good too. The yeah, re- and the remastered um, stuff looks amazing. That that's the thing, yeah, right? Beautiful. So that was that was there. They shot that in 35 millimeter film in 1987. We just wow. never got to see the clarity of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's such a good, good that's it. such a good point. That's a good way to say it. That was yeah. always there. We just never saw it. Yeah, it was just m- murky, you know. You know what ruins that scene slightly though? At the end, hmm. Hmm. there should be no dialogue whatsoever when that's all going on. I mean, oh, you, you, yes. they give all this dialogue to Deanna. You're, and... you're going to yeah. say it because this is the one thing I was bringing up the other day. Like, yeah. One thing that I think is really annoying about the end. Joy this... and gratitude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. come, like, shut like, up. We just know. Just let, just, just let it play. Just let it play. And Look, gratitude. They music, music. Nice music. Nice yeah, music. Yeah, and they entwine themselves. Effects. Like, they hold their little, their yeah, little, that's you know, all you have to do. come you out need and touch else. each other. We need, we know that. Like, it's obvious from what's going on. Like, you know, thank you, though. But that's okay. Well, they, they did they did the whole, you know, sort of, um, you know, Captain Obvious line had to be said by someone. And so, they, of course, Troy is one of the two people that they always make do that. Yeah, it's either her or Riker. Right. Gwen to say from Galaxy obvious. Quest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Somebody <laughs> has to state, like, the obvious thing. And often yep. it's Riker. And if it's not Riker, it's often Troy. So there you go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that really nicely sets up Troy's character because that's basically all she does the rest of the show. Which is a really real shame because um, one of the to, since we're talking about Troy, something that I, I noticed in this rewatch that I'd never really paid attention to before is if you watch the early scenes before Riker has joined, Picard actually talks to Troy and uses Troy almost like his second in command. She he asks for everything, you know, the, the whole the whole printout only thing, like everyone reports status green or whatever. You know who reports that to him? Like it was the first officer. Troy does. He even and he calls her commander, like he uses her rank and stuff. And he he it's it's like oh there see like they were starting they weren't sure what to do with her, but they're starting to just use her kind of normally like another officer and kind of procedurally like another officer. And I thought that was interesting because of course we know that that just drops away, but it's there. He basically has her you know report to him that the whole ship reports like ready you know and things like that 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 would be yeah. That would be Riker's line if he was there, you know? So I thought that was Ron, interesting. Ron Moore said it best about Deanna Troy. He said nothing was going to date TNG more than, than the idea of having a counsel, ship's counselor <laughs> sitting next to the captain on the bridge. He said it was a very 80s kind of touchy-feely yeah, it, kind it, of it concept. Is. 
It is, for sure. Not that there shouldn't be psychiatrists on board a starship. I mean, Deanna was a character that should have existed, but to have her sitting next to the captain, like, that was always kind of, kind of you know. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was also weird to me that, weird. She, oh, sorry, that, that she didn't exist within the chain of command, because, like, if she's in charge of mental health, then Beverly should be her boss, right? Because she's the yeah, chief medical officer. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and she yeah. should. Instead, that's absolutely Deanna right. Deanna kind of just exists outside of it. And then, and, and the way she exists outside of it kind of... Um, means that she and Guinan end up stepping on each other's toes a little bit when Guinan yeah. appears a year later. Right, right. Jared, I yeah. think you hit yes. on something really important there. I think that is super woke of you because... Oh. <laughs> because I think, like, you know, we, we... I think it's so important to recognize that mental health is an important part of just overall health. And to mm-hmm. have it be separated out, you would hope that, you know, by the 24th century... Like you said, she would be working with Beverly. She would be a medical officer. So she'd be treating yeah. the mind the way that we're treating the rest of the body in a scientific sure. way. Right. In an integrated and, health. And, and wearing, she does, wearing a blue uniform. Sure. But just to be to be worked into that chain of command structure, I think I think that's a really excellent point. I never thought about it. Thank yeah. you. I, I After we did our TNG redux two years ago or whenever, I, I occurred to me I should have said that and I didn't. So I'm glad I finally could. Cool. It's a really good point. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's interesting because you sort of almost see that here. Like I said, there's a little germ of that here. And of course, then it's dropped. And boy, we don't get back to her in uniform and her being taken seriously until really season seven when she decides to take the bridge officer's test. You know what I mean? Well, and after Jellico makes don't. her wear a uniform. Right. She finally gets loves. back in a uniform. Thank goodness. Yes. And then, yeah. And then that's, you know, the, well, and then of course, before that disaster happens and she realizes she doesn't quite know what to do from a starship operations like perspective. Right. And so you can just all see these things slowly form together to, gee, she's kind of a whole person and really should be (laughs) part of a command structure. Right. Like it makes sense. She should know what, what to do. She is a Lieutenant commander for gosh sakes, you know? Well, but but that's okay. I mean, in terms of like a fish out of water thing. Oh, I know. But I mean, you can see why that's that's a good growth growth for it. Yeah. yeah, you can see why that's great growth for it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in terms of in terms of character actors who hit their stride the best, right on, uh, right from the start. Who who do you think did the best job? Frakes done. Riker's pretty much Riker. What about Delancey? Though? Yeah, Riker's Riker. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. But of all the yeah of all the main characters, all the main yeah, cast, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's Frakes because they don't really know what to do with Jordy yet. They don't really, you know, because Jordy isn't the chief engineer yet. They don't know mm-hmm. quite what to do with him. They don't know quite what to do with Worf. Yeah, you Worf know, in like, the first right. seasons, a couple seasons, is actually kind of more like a werewolf than a person. <laughs> Wait, know? who he is? is? He really is. Worf. Worf? He kind of behaves like Worf. a werewolf, right? You even pointed out. Yeah, like, he leaps at stuff. Yeah. And he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you mean. That's actually kind of funny. Yeah, I see what you mean. It, yeah, you, when you really think about it, it took them a while to figure out a lot of these characters. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think they had Wes pretty square on. <laughs> um, yeah, he Wes has done kind of a stupid version yet. of Gene. Yeah. 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 We're, not, we're not to the... Um, <laughs> yeah. We're not to the naked now yet where he saves the day for the first time and everyone starts to hate him. He's, <laughs> but he's fine in this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anything else on Farpoint? I mean, we got we got three others to go through. Yeah, I mean, what are, I, I'd love to hear your guys' closing thoughts. So, like I said, I I actually really like this episode. I think I'm looking at it with very forgiving eyes, and also with eyes knowing 
you know, what um, All Good Things is going to sort of do for it retroactively. But even all that said, I, I like this episode. I think there's things that obviously could have done better character-wise especially, but I think the uh, overall it's a good representation of like what, what we could expect from the rest of the series. What, what do you guys think? I would agree you're right about expecting from the storylines, yes. It's not a good representation of what we come to expect of the characters because we just talked about how they all get much better and deeper in about a season. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very mixed about Encounter and Farpoint, personally. It's pretty average, pretty mediocre to me, like out of out of the group, especially. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Matt. I, I don't. I don't think yeah. it's terrific. Yeah, neither do I. It has its, you know, charming moments, like we just said. There are some definite good moments, but it's got a very nice polish to it, a high level of production. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing. Is like, look, you can't say that they, especially for 1987, you can't say that they cheaped out on this. It looks really good. Mm. Well, it ends on a very happy high note, and everything is great joy and gratitude. So that <laughs> that that does it for me. That just puts me in a very happy place. So, yeah, and and then Picard says, "But everything else we do after this will be more interesting." Which I don't, I don't yeah. think, I don't think that was the right thing yeah. to, to end on. No, it was really, it was really kind of glib. Like, really, what? All right, if you say so. Like, yeah, yeah. This was old hat. This was no big deal. Yeah, you've seen one space jellyfish. You've seen them all. I know, pshaw. Like. <laughs> you should try the giant green space hand. That's a really good stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I will say we have to kind of give encounter for our point compared to the rest of these pilots, a little bit of sort of grading on a curve because. This sets up a whole new like era of next, you know, the next generation like era that basically our next pilots all get to benefit from, right? That's like, true. Let's just sort of give a little asterisk, and then even when we get to to Enterprise, so the time is different, but Broken Bow when we get there is like the most mature as far as it's the same group of people who have been doing this stuff for a long time. So really, every successive pilot that we're going to talk about benefits from Farpoint's awkwardness you know what i mean like we we eventually get somewhere pretty cool so anyway yeah that's a good point why don't why don't we then fast forward to the next episode the next pilot on our list today yes Mm -hmm. let us fast forward to january 1993 wow what a what a time to be alive this was so exciting. I remember I remember when Deep Space Nine was premiering like vividly. This is such yes. an exciting time. Yeah. 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 All right. So let me let me read the let me read the summary and then we can wax poetic about DS9. Mm-hmm. All right. Three years after his wife died at the hands of the Borg and following the Cardassian withdrawal from the planet Bajor, Commander Benjamin Sisko and a new crew of Starfleet and Bajoran officers take command of an abandoned Cardassian space station and make an incredible discovery that will change the galaxy and Cisco's future. Wow, that's actually like spot on right there. It really it? is. That, yeah. by, that was, by the way, courtesy of Memory Alpha. Yes, those the editors did a fantastic job with that little summary. That's mm. really yeah, that, that spot, pretty much spot nails on. it. Yeah. Um, this is my favorite of all the Star Trek pilots. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is, not only is it a complete episode with a complete story from beginning to end. Not only does the main character go on a journey and come out of it, you know, different at the end, but it just introduces the concept really well. It gives you not not every character was 
drawn particularly well in the pilot. Some characters you get to know a little bit better than others. You learn more about some mm-hmm. others later. Some characters change a bit down the line. But you get the the premise of this show. You get the political context of what's happening. You get an idea for the setting and everything else. And right down to you know the whole concept of the prophets and what's, what that's going to mean down the line. Mm-hmm. It really puts you in this setting beautifully yeah and not only does it do it but it reinforces as much as i like i think a lot of people were unsettled by the tone of the show when it came out i love this pilot because yes it was a lot different than tng which was a good thing but it also reinforced a lot of gene's beliefs it's still a very star trekky thing oh yeah when he's like People when Cisco is art, when Cisco is speaking to them about you know linear time and explaining who we are and, and why we do it, the things that we do, that's so Star Trekky. <laughs> yeah, and can I tell you something I noticed in that that I'd never picked up? And and Deep Space Nine has always been has been my favorite series, uh, and so I think I've watched those into the ground more more than any more than any of the others. And I never noticed this, but when he's describing linear time and they ask what is past, he says it's something you leave behind. And the name of the final episode of Deep Space Nine oh, was "What You Leave Behind." Jeez, I yes, never noticed I that. I didn't even notice that. Jared. That's fa- that, Jared. Fantastic isn't, observation. Isn't that That's beautiful? Really good. That's beautiful. Bonus points for Jared. Whitley. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Mind blown. Well done, Thank Jared. You. And of course, the upcoming DS9 documentary is called "What We Left Behind." Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Anyway, I, I think this is is marvelous. It is. Is about as good as a pilot for Star Trek yeah. can get. Oh my opinion. gosh, it I is. Love, it I is pretty much perfect. I love yeah. it. So it's it's pretty much perfect. I agree. So I was yeah. going into this, and I've been saying for the last couple of months that I thought Broken Bow was the best one. But then upon rewatch, I have to agree. This is the best one. I yeah. tried. I tried to rewatch all four of these before we did this, and the only one where I could make it all the way through and I didn't feel compelled to skip was this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah. I love that they have just the right mixture of talking stuff, sort of sort of, you know, the trek philosophizing and just enough action to keep people from getting bored with with the mm-hmm. Borg stuff at the beginning and then the Cardassian stuff at the end and a little yeah. bit of Odo special effect in the middle. But the it's yep. just it's a terrific mixture of it. And I also in terms of setting up the series, something I love about DSX Nine is they said the Borg are the big bads on the TNG but they're not going to be here. We're not going to deal with them. So they start off with that scene of them, and that's all we see them ever again. We talk about them, but I, I also love the idea in terms of setting the tone that we see Picard and his and his crew. They're the they're the big kids, right? And Cisco, he just gets caught in their wake, right? In terms of being more of an everyman, and so here we see their biggest adventure uh, was something that devastated his life, and it's kind of like, and you know, you may laugh at me to say this, but it's like that line in. Um, the Street Fighter movie where Raul Julia is confronted with being this this horrible uh, uh, dictator. And he says, you know, that day that uh, I destroyed your village, it was horrible for you. But for me, it was just Tuesday, right? Like, <laughs> saving the galaxy, that's just Tuesday for Picard. But for Cisco, it rearranges his life. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes, very true. Yeah, and, and another thing I liked about that, too, was that, you know, in Best of Both Worlds, we see the Battle of Wolf 359 after it's over. Yes, like there's just wreckage everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I this love you actually get to see get to the see actual yeah. human toll up close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it was awesome to see that. 
Yeah. I, I also imagine there were constraints in terms of budgeting and special effects where they really couldn't show this a couple of years earlier, but there'd been just enough development and they had just enough extra dollars for a pilot. But yeah, it's beautiful. Even now, 25 years later. Yeah, it holds up nicely. Yes, it screams to make Deep Space Nine properly remastered is what it does. Because I, re- I want to see this with all the beautiful detail that there totally yeah. was in it. But yeah, anyway, no kidding. That's a little aside. But yeah, and, you, and this is another thing. Yeah, you were speaking about how you know we don't really see the Borg here. This is more about the Cardassians and, mm, the, mm-hmm. and the Klingons to some degree. And you know, you see Gold Dukat here in the pilot. Yeah, and you're gonna see him throughout the entire series. Yep. And so yep. you know, it really does give you everything you need to know about this show, in 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 90 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully done. Yeah, the other thing they do that I love so much is even though there's the darker tone, and even we're dealing with like Cisco's, you know, grief over losing his wife, we still have our dark, gritty hero with a big smile on his face for most of the ninety minutes that he's on screen. Right? Yes. We don't. Mm-hmm. It's not like you know uh, we need to see Superman looking dour and gritty. Here we have Ben yeah. Cisco with a big, beautiful smile. Yeah, he mm-hmm. loves he loves his, his son. He spends a bunch of time with him. Like, it becomes really obvious that Cisco's this well-rounded person, you know, yep. who's not grim, dark man. You know, with, <laughs> that's single-dimensional. You know, whatever. For sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's I, really great. I, I also love the way that Cisco, in terms of like appreciating diversity, is able to realize I need to put together a team that is very different than me. It's like this this um, Bajoran resistance fighter who starts picking a fight with me as soon as yeah. I walk in the door. I need her. This security yep. chief who chews me out for having a gun. I need him. And most importantly, this Ferengi thief. I need him most of all because <laughs> he is going to be the heart of this community. So yeah. I just love mm-hmm. that that Cisco is is able to overcome some of the prejudices that we will see in in uh, highlighted in Caretaker in order to put together this much different world of his. Mhm. I mean, yeah. when, when there's that, like, kind of racist comment about Ferengi that Tom makes in Caretaker. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh. I mean, that's that's basically, yeah. Most of the Federation still make jokes like that. Like, yeah. They make jokes like that. Yeah. And in TNG, you know, that's running parallel to it. They're, yeah. There's a joke in um, Encounter at Farpoint about the Ferengi, if you remember. Yes. The, um, <laughs> oh, yes, they, they yeah. find you as delicious as their other victims or something yeah like yeah, that. yeah yeah and the guy is yeah, trying to yeah. say um i forget his name but the guy is who is running Grappler the station zorn. yeah Grappler zorn is trying to aka duke from gi joe that's what i always hear when he speaks oh, like, oh he was he was he was also prowl yeah. on transformers yep exactly he he did a bunch of 80s cartoons and that's all i hear when he speaks that's yeah awesome. me too I, I can't take it seriously <laughs> yeah anyway also yeah. is yes, Grappler was... his first name or is that his title it's, i think, I think it's, it's a title, title i believe because okay. they keep calling yeah. him like so, like say something something Groppler. They keep saying it <laughs> yeah. like it's his title. I think that's his his alien title, but, you know, the world or whatever. But he's yeah. trying to convince them, you know, oh well, if you guys don't want the station, you know, I'm sure the Ferengi would love it. Yeah, and then as they're leaving, Picard yep. I think, or no Riker, no, was it Picard makes it's Picard, him Picard. Picard. Yeah, Picard, Picard makes some comment yeah. of yeah, well, maybe they'll find you as as tasty as they did their last. Yeah, allies yeah. or whatever it was yeah as as if they were going to eat them or something like that and i'm just uh-huh. like is that i mean you could chalk that up to picard just you know bluffing but i think it's more likely that the writers didn't know what they were going to do with the ferengi yet because then yeah, the first time were, we meet them later in tng they have those like blue electric whips 
Yes. Yep. Remember those? They were attempting yeah, to we make the Ferengi like the next bad guy, and they didn't work at all. Uh, yeah. No, their yeah. their debut was terrible. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> Truly dreadful. Armin Shimmerman still feels weird and kind of bad about that. He yeah. Oh, it wasn't his fault. It's not his fault though. No, <laughs> he wasn't the one who was direct. Like he, the director's the one that told him to like shake about and like flail their arms. Like he didn't do that. You know? <laughs> anyway, we're we're digressing, anyway. but. Yeah, we're we're going but off topic that here. that phenomenon that you're describing was not a problem for the Cardassians or the Bajorans in Emissary. No, not at all. Everyone yeah. was really fleshed right. out. No one's a caricature. I, I think things you were know, a lot better mm-hmm. defined in Emissary, setting sure, up the series. Be, yeah, because yeah. yes. they they took yeah. two or three episodes of TNG and said, okay, this is going to form the inspiration of our new series, and they're the two or three episodes they picked are pretty good. And so oh, yeah. they based they the based on them. Yeah, the, the wounded Ensign Row, the and then um, uh, uh, oh, yeah. dang it, come on! It's the one where they get phased. The next phase. Those are the basically the three episodes that inform Deep Space Nine, and uh, well, well chosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course the wounded is really great because that sets up O'Brien having yep. a connection in G. Yeah, conveniently O'Brien transfers over Deep Space Nine. It's like yep. they set that up. Hmm. <laughs> well done, well done. And I love that we, I love O'Brien, that we get O'Brien and he takes on a new life here. Yeah, him and Keiko. Mm -hmm. Yep. By the way, does anybody else find it kind of weird when he he goes to the bridge of the Enterprise D and like nobody he knows is there? Yeah. Yeah, It's it's so sad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Could could you pay Frakes like a couple of bucks to be there to wish him well or or, or something? No, it's Ensign Redshirt number one. uh Sorry. It is. It's totally like nondescript. Or or, or maybe Jordy, because wouldn't Jordy have been his boss? Right. Somebody somebody we know, you know. It's like, my God. Yeah, he should have been like relieved of duty on the Enterprise by Jordy or something, you know. Yeah, I mean they shouldn't have bought if they were gonna do that, they shouldn't have bothered. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. If if they weren't gonna do it right, they shouldn't have done it at all. No half yeah, measure I mean, of Walter. Be, yeah, it was weird. There was yeah, yeah there's no need weird. for that. Yeah, there's just they didn't yeah. need that scene at all then. Yeah. But that's a minor that's a minor nitpick in, in a really exactly. great Well, really O'Brien well, always ends up being like a charity case. Like he's O'Brien is a charity. Like you always end up feeling bad for him. You know, I think that's why that um that comic, uh, Chief O'Brien at work. I think that's why uh, yeah. that works oh, so that's well. So because he that is comment. this like yeah. sad character. Because you you're like, hey, I like this guy. He's kind of neat. And then he kind of always gets brushed off. Or you know, it's that it, poor guy. Let's see, gets like reprogrammed or somehow cloned or duplicated or yeah. messed with. I don't know how many times in the or, course of. Like or, uh, he gets sentenced to a prison sentence for like 20 yeah, years inside his mind. The prison sentencing? He gets My captured God, yeah. by the Cardassians. Um, yeah. Yeah, jeez. That guy takes a lot of... I think it became a running gag with the with the DS9 writing stuff to the point where they like went out of their way once a season to like really mess with O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's, it sure seems like it, if that's not true. It certainly seems like it is. Cause, I yeah. know. I think it actually is true. I think okay. they kind of realized that they had set up a pattern with the like characters. Poor, old, just kept poor O'Brien. Let's just mess with him. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much, I think, the way they looked at it. Well, I got to say, I like early, early the first few seasons of O'Brien, too, where he's all pissed at the Cardassian technology and, like, he kicks oh, yeah. the computer in yeah. one of them and stuff. And it's always, like, basically giving him lip back, you know, and not really behaving. It's It's, it's quite amusing, honestly. Like, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to say, I, I think pound for pound, this is the most talent on average, the most talented cast. I agree. Acting wise, I agree. Oh yeah, especially when we know 
what a great ensemble they've become. We know they're just great. Yeah, they're yeah. it's a very talented bunch. Yeah, I, I think the one case where this doesn't set up the series very well is the way the Jedzia Dax character first was because she's supposed to be like this serene, royal, smart person type of character. Yes, and she becomes yes. they make her more of like a. a, a party girl i guess for lack of a better term with her like playing tongo mm-hmm. with the ferengi and and enjoying you know drinking blood wine late into the night with klingons and stuff but the character we see here it bears no resemblance to who the character would become well but yes, that's that's, that's influence that's influence from curzon though honestly i think she's trying to be herself you know sort of in this one like well, whoever jadzia is now that she's dax right and then slowly comes to accept that she's got seven other lifetimes to blend into hers. Mm. Maybe. That's but, true. Yeah. Maybe. But that feels, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to argue with that, but that's I a feel like you're retconning. Though, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Perhaps it is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you though, Jared, because it stands out when you watch episodes later in the series and then you go back and watch this. And yeah. It's the, she's, dif- she's the very difference like in her aloof. approach is noticeable. Yeah. yeah. yeah she's yeah. very aloof and like, yeah, it's different for sure. Well, I'll tell you that what. So that's two like minor flaws we found with Demissary. That's yeah. not bad. No, that's not yeah, bad. Very at all. minor. Yeah, that's <laughs> yep. not bad. I also think the nature of the conflict between the Bajorans and Starfleet is much more believable and feels more authentic than the mm-hmm. forced conflict between Starfleet and the Vulcans in Broken Bow. Yes, and and the Maquis, mm. which we'll talk about soon sure. too. I sure. I think it's less fabricated even than that. Honestly. Oh, I agree. Which, yeah. of course. Yeah, it works yeah. It works better than those. Yeah, yeah. So, part of Deep Space Nine's job, then, was to introduce the Maquis as a sort of, you know, soft setup for the next show, Star Trek Voyager. Aha! What a graceful uh-huh. segue. Thank you, Matthew. There you go. <laughs> so, I I have I rewatched Caretaker, as, as I mentioned, and I am going to uh, give you a little memory alpha summary then sort of my reaction, and we'll turn it to discussion. Here we go. The newly commissioned Starship Voyager and a Maquis Raider are flung into the far reaches of the remote Delta Quadrant by a powerful entity known as the Caretaker. I mean, they're not wrong. No, no, it's not. (laughs) They are not wrong. That's That's pretty much it. Okay, and I I think this illustrates one of the, the problems that I have with this in terms of both the story on its own and in terms of setting up the series that you'll notice that one person's name was notably absent from that description compared to the previous <laughs> one. And that would be mm-hmm. our lead character. Yeah. I mean, you'll yeah. notice there's no question that emissary is about our captain and about his issues. He's very clearly has an, uh, an arc. He's in, he's in pain. He's going to make a change. His life is touched by the prophets. He realizes this is where he needs to be. And he doesn't, but with Janeway, there's no arc at all in, in ter- from the beginning in the, to the end. And in fact, she actually figures barely at all in this episode. And, and I actually did a count of the seven opening scenes. Six of them are about Tom Paris, and only two of them are about Janeway. And in both of those, wow. she's talking about Tom. There's kind of half oh, a scene man. where she's talking about her dog. So, uh, and then, yeah. and then the opening scene is, of course, that little action sequence in the Badlands with Chakotay, Tuvok, and Balana, right? But mm-hmm. incredible. You look at how they're setting this up, and it really feels like they want Tom Paris to be the main character, which, of course, he wouldn't become, right? I mean, Janeway would be more important. The Doctor would be way more important. Of course, Seven of Nine yeah. would come till a few years later, and then even Bilana like figures more pr- in, prominently in more episodes than Tom does. But it's like they saw. 
here's this young sort of cocky pilot guy. Well, he has to be the main character, right? Yeah, yeah so he's a really, white man. Sure. Well, who, and also, I've, I I have a feeling UPN might want that too. They're like, come on, leave with the younger guy who's cocky. Like, yeah. Because remember, this is the first show that actually has a network over it giving them notes now. Yeah. The other thing to remember That's is true. this is just a yeah. few years after Top Gun, and so maybe they're still kind of in that mode, right? Anyway, so that really struck me that that they're setting him up to be the main character. Also, in terms of like his conflict with Chakotay. And that mm-hmm. that gets resolved by the end. It's like, wait, wouldn't it have been interesting to have Chakotay instead have a bonding experience with Janeway? And this is why she chooses him to be her first her first officer. And even mm-hmm. like that, this supposed conflict that that Tom and Chakotay have had for, that we never see, but we just hear about. That is more important to Chakotay in terms of cultivating animosity towards Starfleet than the fact that Tuvok has been lying to his face for the last three months or however long he's been undercover yeah. with the monkey. That just yeah, gets blown off. That right? makes no sense, yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all, but their just no. mindset is, uh, this, this young sort of cocksure uh, pilot guy, he has to be the main character. It's so weird to me to watch that retrospectively. Anyway, that was my main reaction. So in terms of setting up the series, that creative choice does not work. And in terms of an episode itself, I don't think that the I mean it would have been good for it to be to have a protagonist and it doesn't really have one the way emissary does. And and you know, even in Counter Far Point, there's no question that Picard is the captain. But here Janeway's just kinda there. And so I I, I didn't Apart from some some good special effects, I, I, this didn't really do much for me as, as a pilot or as an episode. Anyway, that's enough of my rant. I turn it over to the three of you. What do you think? Kayla, you're more of the, the Voyager expert. Uh, what, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's important, I think, to look at it with sort of our setup questions in mind. So how well does it set up the series and how well does it work as a story on its own? I think it ends up, this, the story that they wrote, at least the events within the story, end up being important for the rest of the series. So the events that take mm-hmm. place set up this this series very well. You know, the idea of them getting mm-hmm. flung across the the universe and or across the galaxy and um, the decision that Janeway has to make or decision that she chooses to make to, to keep them in the Delta Quadrant basically comes up a lot in the rest of the series. But other yeah. things are super poorly set up. Like the whole thing we've talked about this on the show a bit before but the whole um idea that you set up this great setup with the maquis and the federation that get thrown together on the mm. other side of the galaxy and now they have to work together and then a couple aliens too and yeah yeah and a couple aliens too and this the alien thing they kind of use but the maquis federation thing they never use it right away i think even before caretaker is over everyone is yep. basically a federation yeah, member the, yeah pretty much yeah. the, worst, the yeah. most grating moment is when is when she say yes we're gonna stay here blow up the caretaker and balana's like who is she to say this what gives her the right to decide and chakotay says she's the captain it's like where does that come from why is he saying that why is he defending yeah yeah the, Why these are, these are all people yeah. who left Starfleet, right? Like, yeah. they don't care. Some of them are, you know, they're dropouts, they're whatever. Why the hell would they suddenly be like, yeah, she's, yeah. she's the captain. Makes yeah, no she, she gives them yeah. no reason to rally behind her. And I, I wish that they had drawn that out and had tension between, because they had built in drama, the tension between the Maquis mm-hmm. and the Federation they that they could have dragged on for seasons, frankly. They did, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And they never it, used it. it. If, no, if it's totally maybe, nice yeah, maybe instead of uh, Balana and Harry being trapped together, if that had been uh, Janeway and Chakotay 
so they could have bonded somehow. The other thing that was always weird to me is like these aliens that, you know, uh, and I, I mean, Neelix and Kess, that they just get absorbed right in and there's, they kind of like hero worship the the Federation. I guess they take uh, uh, Tasha Yar's advice to heart to worship the Federation. And there's never like yeah. any source of, or at least that it's, I can remember, it, conflict or difference It's because Neelix got a, got a bath and that's apparently. Yeah, that's true. Thing, right? Yeah, so. yeah. They had a lot <laughs> yeah. of water, so. They had a lot of clean you water, can, so we're, we're you good. You can lead a Talaxi into water, but you can't make him take a bath. <laughs> so there's some there's some but there's some right. joke about a, a hot tub in there somewhere a jacuzzi oh with oh i'm sure chakotay and janeway and their jacuzzi yeah oh. they, they oh. have quite the little jacuzzi yeah when they think they're stuck on a planet it's pretty sexy times sexy times um <laughs> sexy times the, then it goes the, nowhere the other, the other <laughs> thing i want to touch on kayla you mentioned setting up the series in terms of the premise which obviously it does mm-hmm. they talk they make a big deal about like the other caretaker like the female caretaker being out there somewhere and that she could be the solution to send them home and so i was just i don't ever remember that happening in the series and admittedly i don't know voyager as well as other people and so i was looking it up apparently they do meet the female caretaker at one point in the episode cold fire which which was a uh uh, oh it's in the second season so they they got it yeah they went into that really quick. Wow, well, I totally quick don't really. Okay. No, yeah. left no impression at all. And uh, so I was reading, and apparently Berman said they let they use that as their get out of jail ca- free card. So if this premise wasn't working, they could send Voyager back relatively easily. But ah, it it never it never happened. Wow. No, not, nothing nothing came of it, right? And then of course. Oh yes, his mate is named Suspiria. I remember that name. I thought that was so odd that they chose that. Yeah, that sounds that mm-hmm. sounds like a Simpsons parody of the name of a Bond villain. It, it totally does. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so so in terms of that, and then you look at the finale, and it doesn't have anything to do with Caretaker. It's yeah, more, no, it's, it's no, about no, all the. It's, it's not about bookended. The, the, it's. Because the, because the you know Borg by stuff. then they had gotten way deep into the Borg, right? So they were yeah. like, oh, all about the Borg. Yeah. 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 No, I agree, and it, it ended the way that it was supposed to. I think, right? Could sure, but the Borg I, stuff. I I think Jared brings out something kind of that points out something that also Kayla hit on before, which is actually both emissary and Encounter at Farpoint have nice bookends mm-hmm. at the other end of the seven yeah. seasons, right? This one does not. There is no nice bookend to caretaker. Now maybe that's not bad, but it's just interesting. It's the first one. To not have a nice book end, yeah. right? Like somehow we call back to it. Mm-hmm. Somehow we, you know, have something that I don't know. Turnabout Intruder doesn't have much to do with where no man. Well, has gone TOS before. is its own. <laughs> thing. TOS it never is, had a gets a pass. Finale. Yeah, yeah. It had never had a proper finale. I we, know. know. I'm sorry. I just need to make you it have to unless you watch uh, Star Trek Continues <laughs> and then you can see a, a and then, it has then a you can see nice a book ended finale, yes, finale to the original series. Yeah, and it does have a very nice finale, but. That's non-canonical. Featuring no. three members of the trip. That's movie right. Stuff, by the way, that's right. You guys are in there multiple, multiple times. Five, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. Yes. So, but canonically, no. Sorry, but yes, yeah. continuous does a great job. With that. Brian, do you have any thoughts yeah. on Caretaker? No, I will agree that it does set up the series. It it does tell you exactly you know who everybody is and what the premise is going to be from there on out. But for me, every time I think of Voyager, I just think of what a squandered opportunity it was for so much great yeah, stuff. Me too. Dude, awesome. I, I will say yeah. that for the first 45 minutes of Voyager have so much promise. It just feels like, they do. holy crap, they're they really so going to do. do some cool stuff with this. right? And, and I yeah. focused yeah. on whining about them paying too much attention to Tom Paris. But like everything, it seems like 
like it's gelling together they have a concept it's not just going to be these people fly through space it's like they have pre-set up uh dynamics within the character they have a nice idea for a premise that's going to be different and even like mm -hmm. the cinematography for way they introduce the characters is really good like the first time we mm -hmm. see janeway it's it's Tom is there in prison, you know, in, in prison in Australia, wherever he is, and he looks up, and there's this nice pan of her standing over him, looking very commanding, right? So that's a great intro mm -hmm. to her. We when mm -hmm. we we first meet Harry, like he's introduced to us with this like little uh, uh, pull away where there's like one of the Ferengi bartenders in front of him, and then he moves very abruptly. So we have this nice introduction, and so even in terms of just this this there's more care in the cinematography than we usually see in a weekly TV series. And it just feels like they're moving in a great direction. So so the, the disappointment uh, that I and many other people felt with Voyager uh, is reinforced by watching how great the first half of it is. And I, I will just say that this for Voyager, that I 100% agree that, you know, and obviously based on what I've said here, that there's a lot of squandered opportunity. There's a lot more they could have done with the series. Um, they, did, they didn't use the platform that they gave themselves, and it's such a shame. That said, Voyager gets a lot of crap, and there are incredible episodes within Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, so, and, and the, be the best ones in my mind, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you, the best ones are the ones that continue on from that premise. Like, there's one where, Ch where Tuvok, has, it's revealed that Tuvok has done all these holodeck simulations for what would happen yep. if the Maquis rebelled. That is fantastic, right? Or there's this one where they have to deal with these, it's called Good Shepherd, where Janeway has to deal with these three crew members who would have been flushed out years ago if they yeah, that's had a great one. a traditional yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Or there's one where we do flashbacks. This is my favorite Voyage episode, uh, where, where Belana is having flashbacks of like when she was a kid. And that's a great way to show her life before Voyager. It almost feels like an episode of Lost, because mm. that's what they do in Lost. So there are some great episodes, and the great ones are the ones that fulfill the concept of the show anyway and i i'm sorry if i interrupted you caleb but you and, inspired me. and obviously the jacuzzi harkens back nicely to to the uh the bathtub so which is what so everyone wanted to see yeah. right so it was the leading on obviously they planned that when they had the the bathtub and in, in the beginning of the series <laughs> that they were eventually sure. going to have chakotay uh build a sex jacuzzi for janeway it, right it's, totally, it's, totally. it's all a rich tapestry. it is really funny it is really funny though, because like when we, I was doing a rewatch with my wife Sarah, who's a much more casual fan that I'm sort of slowly indoctrinating into the Trek things, and even and she's just looking at it and she goes, "They should just they should just get over with him, both. right?" Because they're really <laughs> the first couple seasons, there really is a lot of like kind of sexual tension between the two characters, between Janeway and Chakotay, and it's there and it's and it's real, you know, and it's like okay, well, you know, would have honestly, you know, would have that would have would that have been so bad, like. I don't know. It makes Janeway like a person who has needs and urges and fantasies, right? Oh no, and, like, and a boyfriend a seventy thousand light years away. There's reasons not to, but you know, it just. Well, it also this was the kind of weird thing they did with Riker and Troy too. Yes, yes. You get into the TNG era, and like every nobody has sex anymore. Yeah, right. or Be all... Beverly and Picard. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like it, they so can be super like, intimate me, that's and like, share that's brain like, waves, but nope, no sex. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah it's bizarre. It's, yeah. It also kind of reinforces how Seven of Nine would capture so much of the attention of the series that once she appears, then that's who Chakotay becomes interested in. Which is so. Oh, that's even more <laughs> awkward. They shoehorn that in at the last minute during the seventh season. And yeah. It's like what? Why? 
Why, where did that even come from? It's very awkward. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a bummer that Caretaker is such a mediocre intro because, as we've said, there are really great Voyager episodes. Like, really great mixed in there. You just can't go... Hey, but like I would just say you can't watch like it's harder because you can't go oh all of season X is amazing it's not really true for Voyager it's mm. like you gotta watch about 10 from this season you know 10 from this one 3 from this one and you get really good ones whereas I feel like with Deep Space Nine and Next Gen you can point to entire yeah, seasons I agree that's a good point like, watch this entire season it's worth it well, that, yeah. that I mean? sounds like an article mm. that's just dying to be written <laughs> <laughs> sure the best well, Voyager gee. episodes <laughs> Oh, no, I, I did write it one. On, yeah. on the 20th anniversary, I wrote uh, 20 Voyager episodes you might have missed. There you go. Oh, that's right. You did. I forgot about that. Well, there you go. Done deal. Go read it, people. It's worthwhile. Thank you. I appreciate the endorsement. <laughs> okay, so the one last thing I do want to say about Voyager, because I've, I've I've maybe I feel a little guilty about having been negative, but I do think that Voyager has both the best, or at least my favorite, main theme song and the best t- opening titles. It's also yeah. the only yeah. the only opening titles yeah, that it's have pretty been good. nominated for mm-hmm. an Emmy from Star Trek. Yeah, I feel like it's just as long as the Deep Space Nine ones, and that's a problem too. I think they're both really yeah, long. they are a little too long. Yeah, but I do like yeah the Caretaker thing is cool. I do like or not excuse me Caretaker the Voyager credits are really cool. I know it's totally weird and inaccurate, scientifically inaccurate, but I like going through the rings thing. I like that they're not correct but it's okay it looks cool um, well maybe they're correct in the delta quadrant maybe the physics is just a little bit different that's right but the rings things are, are like weird in the belt. delta yeah, quadrant no. yeah it's true things get freaky over there man who knows <laughs> there's fluidic space and all kinds of weird shit that goes and on. interferometric particles <laughs> yeah what in nice. doubt the tech that the interfer- tech with that interfere with things <laughs> yes anyway okay well matt why don't you take us back in time to a simpler era? Hmm. Yes. So then, of course, as everyone knows, after Voyager, folks were kind of interested in maybe going backwards, doing a little prequel action. And with that, we have Star Trek Enterprise, which is a hundred-ish years, a little more, from the original series. So it's quite a difference from, you know, the 24th century where we were with Voyager. And uh, let's talk about, I'll read to you now, the little quick recap of Broken Bow, which is the title of the pilot of Enterprise. I, I also want to interject, it is Broken Bow, not Broken Bow. I mean, like there's yes, a bow Yes, I a actually ship. want, I really want it to be Broken Bow, too. I know it's Broken Bow, but I want yeah. it to be Broken Bow. Be, I don't be, know why. But because our, our hero is an archer. Oh my god, that's actually really perfect. I never thought about that. That's really yeah. funny. Boom boom. Yeah. Boom. Well, and nicely and, done. And very much like in Emissary, he has an arc in this where we see he's had this frustration with not being able to explore. He's got some prejudice he needs to overcome, and then in yeah. this episode, he gets well, put on. Yeah, we'll right, talk right. about that prejudice because he supposedly overcomes it, and then I don't think so. But no. Any, anyway, we'll, I just we'll, I just wanted to interject uh, that. Sorry. Yes. Well, so let's circle back to just talk about what they say. Just a quick one-line version of what this, what the pilot is, which is Enterprise, Earth's first Warp 5-capable vessel, embarks on a dangerous first mission, bringing back a chaste Klingon to his homeworld of Kronos. That's very short. Um, there's much more going on than that, but that's the one-line version. <laughs> um, there's also a whole thing where, what, who is he being chased by, this Klingon? Well... 
a race we've never heard of jumps up, which is kind of com- a common trope for Star Trek at this point, I guess. But this race we've never heard of called the Sulubaner chasing him. The pesto people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the pesto people. They're chameleons and covered in pesto, apparently. Um, so, yeah. So the, those are the genetically altered versions of them. Um, it's so it, it's, So it's interesting because... So let's back up for a second. So this does really start kind of really interestingly with... Sure, it's a prequel. So no one's... You know, people aren't really perfect yet, let's say, in the 24th century version. And this opens with, like, a cornfield and a farmer, right? I mean, it's like, oh, what's going on here? And it's a Klingon being chased through a cornfield in Broken Bow, Montana. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Right? So it's 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 an off it's already off to kind of a weird start, right? Like an interesting start. And of course this Klingon gets taken out by a farmer who's got like a plasma shotgun, basically, because well, sure, right? I guess that's what farmers have, even in the you know, twenty second century, but sure, whatever. So a plasma shotgun basically takes out this Klingon and a mystery sort of unfolds because of course no one's ever seen a Klingon before well humans haven't let's let's take that back humans haven't seen a Klingon before when we introduce our first sort of weird enterprise trope of all this which is that the Vulcans seem to know everything already anyway and think we're kind of retarded like humans are just sort of there <laughs> right it, it becomes a trope right it becomes a thing through an enterprise that they're just sort of jerks to us the, the Vulcans are yes and, very yeah much. I don't like that and that's that. a huge no that's a huge bone of contention that, yeah Lots of people rightfully had with it, which yep. is like, what do you mean? The Vulcans were our, like trusted allies for, mm. you know, the entire time we've seen them. Why are they lording, you know, yeah. sort of tech and knowledge over us? Like, yeah, they're being total weird. jerks. And, and, and how I've never understood how the Vulcans were holding stuff back. Right. Because it's like, were they like sabotaging your efforts to develop new technology? Because if you haven't yeah, achieved it's, it it's already, why would they give it to you? In that case, you know, you right. have, you have no right to presume to that they'd give you their technology. So right, then it's very strange. It it just never made any sense. It just seemed like forced conflict. You see, I I disagree. I disagree with that. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. See, I I, I completely understand why the Vulcans behave the way they do, and I think it's actually consistent with with the way they behave later. The Vulcans consider us inferior to them. You can see it in the original series. Spock speaks condescendingly to some degree about humans. Sarek looked down on Spock's choice of career because he ended up going to Starfleet and hanging sure. out with humans. Sure. And you got to remember, when the Vulcans find us, we are recovering from a, a nuclear war. Oh, of course. But that's 100 years later. You know, I understand that. But if, yes, but I, it makes sense that a race like the Vulcans would treat us like that. Like, I totally bought into that. I think it makes sense they would hold us at arm's length. I don't know if it makes sense that they would be such assholes about it, though. Well, they you know they, I mean? they come across to me. I, I totally get what you're saying, Brian. I think that makes it a lot better for me, actually. But I, I feel like they make them too emotional. Um, no, emotional, I agree with. Yeah. Cause yeah, they, I agree with it's you. Like there. there's, it's one thing about, you. like, um, you know, being a bit condescending. And I know all those things are rooted in emotions, which Vulcans do have. But they, I think they express those emotions too much. And, and it makes them look like jerks rather than stoic. A lot, and I think to, mm-hmm. I think to Paul is right. guilty of that a lot. 
Oh, T'Pol's very guilty right. of that over, over the Well, course. T'Pol, we can get into T'Pol. T'Pol's characterization is all over the place during yeah. the series. There well, are times that she's regally Vulcan, and yeah. then other times she's very human, and then and other times she's Vulcan and, again. And, it's like... Yeah. yeah, fair. Yeah. And, and to go back to our main captain character, so is he. He's all over the damn map, how they write him. Yeah. And so let's yeah. talk about him real quick, because the idea of this is like, what is this setup, right? So this is to set up the series, and they've got... They've got a series of flashbacks to, you know, Captain Archer as a kid talking with his dad because the idea is, well, okay, so, you know, our our captain's motivation is basically um, he watched his dad try and develop the Warp 5 engine and then, um, you know, get sort of stifled by, like, Vulcans not really lending them a hand, I guess. So that goes back to that whole, it's very not clear what they're holding back or whatever, but... Um, so he's, you know, his old man was in charge of this project. And so he's very personally connected to the launch of the first warp five trip ship. Right. And there's this whole personal connection with that. And of course, then he doesn't particularly think much of Vulcans because of all this and his opinions of what mm-hmm. they did to his father's life's work. Um, and then of course he has lots of, you know, very rude sort of exchanges with the Vulcans when they go. Uh, try to figure out who this Klingon is and what he's doing on Earth. and um, But then by the end, in theory, he's like, oh, I could see a place for a Vulcan science officer on the bridge. Also, big old giant wink, wink, like fan service moment too. and um, mm. But also somehow he's like, okay, maybe I should reconsider my point, which would be fine if that really put a bow on it for the character, but it never does. He's really like shitty to Tavol hmm. throughout especially the first couple seasons he'll either claim you know he claims he now sort of trusts her like because he tests her in the pilot to see if like why she's there and if she's supposed to just report everything back to the high command or if she's really there to serve him as like a science officer and you know she passes his test and does what he would want not what she thinks you know there's all these kind of nice moments where she sort of passes his test and and then he's just a dick to her sort of at any given moment, depending on how the writers feel. Yeah. And he's mean to her a lot yes. in the pilot. Yeah. And he's really, yeah. He's, it, like he's like by starting by threatening physical violence against her at the very beginning. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Knocking her on your ass. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. Volatile. You have no idea how much I'm restraining myself from knocking you on your ass. Yeah. It's like, what? This is not. Okay. Sure, we get it. Like, these aren't the perfect people of the 21st century. Fine. But, like, that's just outright, like, a jerk, unprofessional thing to say. Right? Like, that, regardless Mm. of the century, like, you don't go, yeah, it's okay, whatever. So there's a lot of unevenness to it. Um, But does this, so to go back to it, how does it, how well does it set up the series? I think there's a lot of good setup in all of this, which is, we get the idea that this is the very first Warp 5 ship that humans have ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, we get we get a really good sense of all the main characters, I think. Um, like, Phlox is this kind of congenial self that gets recruited to help them take the Klingon back. I, I think Phlox you know, is like great that. right from the very start. Yeah, I was going right to say, if we yeah. have to vote, yeah, if too. we have to vote like we did in, with uh, TNG, who hit their stride yeah. right off the bat. Oh, yeah, Phlox. Dr. Phlox. Yeah, there's a reason why John yeah, Billingsley right. charges five dollars more than everyone else for Enterprise for a, a picture with him. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, it does. If you look in the little program, at least last time I went, all the Enterprise guys were forty bucks. He was forty-five. <laughs> well, and I, and I think and I think Trip is well defined as well. 
I oh, think Trip is oh, great. Oh, good point. I yeah, I love I, lo- I love Commander Tucker. I, but I think I think yeah. yeah, Fox and Trip are the are the leading like two that are really well defined from the get go. Um, Hoshi is pretty well defined, but I hate that they make her like a nervous Nelly about everything, which they eventually sort of slowly ditch. Mm. But she's uh, like overly nervous about some things. The good news is they actually parlay that into a really great episode, which is right after the pilot called Fight or Flight, and I think it's a really great first season yeah. episode for enterprise i'll have That's to rewatch that one to it. i uh, that good. doesn't bother me about her because she's like an academic she's not like a field officer but her academic proficiency is what makes her so good at this skill that the captain needs so that that didn't yeah. that didn't bother me so much i think well that... in theory though she's also a starfleet officer she she was in the service and then took a like a, a sabbatical they say true but you don't have to so you know you like, could eh. it's like even in the military today like yeah. even in the american military yeah you can you be someone who's not like ever gonna see any kind yeah. of like, action right like right. I, mm-hmm. I i have a friend sure. whose brother was deployed to iraq to work in a dentist's office right right mm-hmm. oh yeah i know i got friends who were deployed to afghanistan to basically do the it there yeah it's exactly. like okay right yeah, yeah so maybe yeah. that she could have yeah. been a starfleet in that capacity yeah I yeah so it's, it's understandable but you know, I just, I just, it's just too bad that they make, they have to make the, the girl. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I get that for like sure. Afraid of it. It's, it's a little like, eh, all right, whatever, maybe not so hot, but whatever. Um, I also, um, they, they also set up Travis, you know, Mayweather really nicely. He, they have some really great moments where he's figured out the sweet spot of the ship. Yeah. That was the cute. two pieces of gravity plating yeah. and he's hanging out there kind of feeling out the ship and being alone and they talk about how he was a you know a space boomer right he grew up on mm-hmm. the slow cargo vessels and this is a really great setup and then of course they they don't do tons with mayweather unfortunately which is really sucks because he's in theory a very interesting character because he in terms of like logging hours in space sure is the most experienced yeah, of the whole the group yeah. yeah um and they they do revisit that a couple times like they visit his family's like cargo ship um and things like like twice actually but still it's just like ah that's a wasted thing because mostly he's there to just say sure i'm gonna set the course you got it you know like that's about it so that's kind of over but they do set him up nicely and that's one of the things that a pilot is supposed to do right is set up all the characters so i think they did a good job with that um and i think Mm -hmm. the overarching thing of we're new we're exploring we don't really know quite what we're doing is mostly set up well um, it just goes back to some of that annoyance where somehow they seem to need the Vulcans for everything. Right. So the, just... in, in terms of introducing or setting up the series, how well does this temporal Cold War stuff do? Well, so that since that becomes a major narrative thread in the first two seasons, I would have to say, I guess it's still a pretty, does a pretty good job. It yeah. just, yeah. it just sucks that it's in there in the first place, I guess. Because <laughs> really... it kind of dilutes the, the really good action adventure story we already have. Yeah, because they were starting out to go return this Klingon courier um, to his home world, a place that no human had ever been, a place that, you know, Vulcans had never been but had heard of, right? And they were sort of, of course, they were aware of the Klingons but didn't particularly ever want to deal with them, you know, um, that sort of thing. There's a lot of, like, you know, interesting stuff. So, like, Archer becomes the first human ever, you know, set foot in the Great Hall of, you know, of the High Council and things like that that are really cool. And then, but, you know, in the middle of it all is, oh, and by the way, the reason why the Klingon was there is because of timey-wimey stuff. You know, they were chasing him through the solar system, apparently, because of something, right? It's like, okay, sure, whatever. 
And so it just it just kind of derails the cool exploration and new the new stuff, like the newness of it all. The fact there's a new warp five ship, it's all new, it's all different. Archer starts out sort of like pretty happy and kind of in wonder of what's gonna happen, you know. And by the end he's a little already a little soured on the whole thing and and says, Well, I really hope this is the last time, you know, we have to go use our weapons and like detour into some kind of crazy you know conflict and of course it's like nope sorry each and every week that's gonna happen to you like sorry you know like and it's kind of a bummer but it does set it up nicely for better or for worse (laughs) the the one the main reaction i wanted to touch upon is if you uh because you matt you've already said a lot of things that had already occurred to me and probably better than I do because you know the series better than I do. Um, if you want a, a cosplay that no one else has done and that would be super easy, the opening scene where we see Archer in jeans and a hat, yep. go for that. Mm-hmm. That would be so easy, yeah. and I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do that. <laughs> Ooh, I'm looking that up right now. Archer broken I'm bow. Sure somebody's done it. I think he also might just have a white T-shirt on in it. Yeah, it's whatever it is, it's very simple. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing they tried to do in this pilot that I don't even know if it matters the more you know, the more I think about it is is that the little flashbacks to him as like young Archer, you know, young Jonathan with his dad. Mm-hmm. They were trying to, you know, show this affinity that he had with his dad. And of course we learn through exposition, like as an adult, through various dialogue that like, oh yeah, his dad was a designer, a key designer in the Warp Five engine and died before he could get it implemented into a ship, right? But all of that basically happens through exposition when he's an adult. We almost don't need these flashbacks. It's just like they thought, this is a cool thing, and this also makes sure we hit 90 minutes, you know, without commercials, you know? And it's like, all right, it's fine. I just don't know why they... And they attempt to bookend it. They attempt, they start it with that and end it um, with him flashing back to, you know, successfully flying his little hovering drone with his dad. And it's like, okay, this is this is cute, but eh, all kind of extraneous, you know. No big, big deal. It's just a minor thing. It's just like, okay, you could you could include it, you could not. It, it it's totally just leave. You know, you could leave it on the side if you wanted to. Overall, I thought that it the, the pilot does its job. Yeah, great. It it definitely gives it. Yeah. It gives you a sense of what the show is going to be like. Yes, it does. For better then, or worse. Yeah. And then, of course, where it goes, we just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. Because, yeah. you know, which, because then there's lots of setup of promise of being new explorers, but then there's that weird threat of the Temple Cold War. And it's like, well, which direction do they go? Because it is. It's very interesting. There's a lot of, like, hope to explore by the end of that, where they even, you know, they even say, oh, we're not even going to bother to go back to Space Dock. They think, you know, Basically, they think our shakedown cruise has been done by this adventure with the Klingon. So Starfleet has cleared us to just keep going, right? Which is a really mm-hmm. great, which is a really great spot to leave a pilot in, right? Mm-hmm. It's perfect, like perfect. I I think a lot of us were hoping it would have more of a Wild West vibe to it. Yes, yes. Like the kind of like the original series had, like where week to week you wouldn't know like what kind of crazy thing you might run into yeah. because yep. this is also brand also brand new, you yep. know. Yeah, and and they do hit that once in a while. Yeah, 
once in a during while. the course of this series. But I thought like there should have been a lot more of those like holy shit moments. Like what what are we encountering here? Oh, absolutely. You know? Like there's an early episode where they get onto like a planet and it's just got weird storms and by mistake they get mm-hmm. melded together with some branches when they're transported up through an ion storm. It's like right. okay cool like that wasn't really like what we're looking for when it comes no, to like, but, like but, you know but stuff like that was you know yeah but that was that was like a good way to go though like, to like was, pepper I, it was, in sure i guess so yeah, it just it just but but they they just ended up being a lot like that they i used to the way i used to look at enterprise i i look at it differently somewhat now but you can you can feel that these guys all worked on voyager were really super burned out and told like Get back to the salt mines and crank this stuff out, and you can, f- and you can feel. No, it. it's true. It's true, feel, though. And it's and, and you can feel it with the with the, especially with the first season. These poor guys didn't didn't get a break. I mean, if you read the interviews with them or watch like the Blu-ray special features, these days they'll be really can, candid about it, and they'll say like they got like zero break between finishing Voyager and starting it on Enterprise, and so yeah. they were burned out. And just a lot of these scripts feel like you could plug it into Voyager or some yep. other, you know, like a generic Star Trek show and yeah. just plug it in. And that's a bummer yeah. because there's this awesome premise of being a prequel and seeing things for the first time that just, they just, you know, they're, they just kind of meh and phoned it in. Yeah. And I don't blame them. I know that they're really burned out, but it's just, I it just doesn't feel exciting, you know, like yeah. new and exciting a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things you, you notice in the first couple of seasons is the show is never really bad or anything. Yeah. It's just kind like of serviceable. Like, it's service. Uh, yeah, uninspired. it's serviceable. That's kind of a good word for it. Yeah, yeah, uninspired. Nothing bad, but nothing that really grabs you to keep you interested week to week. Yeah, either. so you know I mean, I mean? It's honestly, like kind of just lays there. And, and Enterprise and really, lost me really in the first three episodes. Yeah, yeah. I, I I stopped watching Enterprise first run in about four or five episodes. I think maybe told. Wow. Me. And I was just like, yeah. look, yeah, I was just like, nope, this is just all the same mediocrity, like, forget it. Yeah. And I actually meant to come back and check on it, you know, like in season two and meh, whatever. I was, a, I was like a young adult. I was busy doing other stuff. I just never came back to it first run. So I suppose I'm one of those people that yeah. helped Thank, cancel thanks it. Thanks a lot, Matt. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but I think a lot of people started to feel that way, yeah, that it yeah. just felt more of the same and kind of whatever you know and it's a bummer because it has such an interesting premise right right well we've we've gone over each of these series and each of these uh the pilots from these series and kind of talked about how they did on their own how they set up the series how well they were bookending the series if you also include the finale um so I, I'm interested in what your guys' thoughts. I think some of you already said what your favorite pilot is, but which which of you which of these do you think did the best job of all these criteria, and maybe which did the worst? Hmm. If I were to rank them, I'd go emissary, broken bow, caretaker, far point. Agree. I'm pretty much. Me too. Yeah. Yep. Well, far point in last place, huh? The space jelly. Sorry. Je- Sorry the space point. jellyfish just don't do it for you. No, I like them. No problem yeah. with that. The whole execution of that pilot, though, is not yeah. very good. I really like yeah. the space jellyfish. <laughs> Silence. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I like the space jellyfish. There's I nothing mean, wrong I with that. Too. It's, yeah, but, it's the execution of the space jellyfish storyline <laughs> that's the problem. And, and, and how 
painful it is to watch our main characters. Like yeah, especially work, Picard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I guess I would maybe have the same list as you guys, except for I would switch uh, Farpoint and Caretaker. Because Farpoint can't be at the bottom of my list because I like I love the space jellyfish too much. They bump it up <laughs> for me above Caretaker. All right. That's that's legit. So. Space jellyfish kind of win over mediocre voice. Feeling I, great I, I joy it. and gratitude is what does it for me. <laughs> and with one tear roll down your cheek. Just you know, a like, single oh, tear. Yeah. Well, I think that is a good way to sum up how we all feel about this 49th episode of the Shuttle Pod. Absolutely. Indeed. After 49 other wonderful episodes and something more like 60-something, I think, total episodes, we have great yeah. joy mm. and gratitude and towards gratitude. all of our listeners. No doubt. Yes, indeed. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with episode 50. That's right. Ooh, get, the, 50. Uh, get the cake ready. Going to be a big celebration. Okay, thanks, everyone. All right, we'll see you guys next Bye, time. Everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.